Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friend? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Glad you are here and hope you're having a great day. Uh, appreciate you listening. We are at episode 149. We are closing in on the 150 mark, which you'll hear next week. We've got a great guest and a great episode for that. In fact, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. We've got about 15 to 20 interviews already lined up between now and the end of the year. Just a lot of great guests, several people that you've been asking for, several people that you have not heard of, but have some serious wisdom to share whenever it comes to all things speaking. So really make sure if you're not already, I want you to subscribe to the podcast. Why haven't you subscribed? Make sure you do that to start with, all right? Because again, I don't want you to miss out on anything that we've got coming up on the show. So today we are talking with my friend and also a booked and paid to speak student of ours, Josh Steinle. Now, this is actually kind of a, a different format of this call. This is something that we did a couple episodes ago where we had someone on that was less of an interview and more of kind of a coaching type of session. And so that's basically what we have done with Josh. So today with Josh, we do kind of a coaching call with him. We decided to record it and let you kind of eavesdrop in on the conversation. So for Josh, he uses speaking as lead generation. So we talk about exactly how he can quantify the, the value of a speaking gig for him, kind of reframe how valuable they can be. He has a lot going on. So he's trying to figure out in the midst of everything else that I have going on, I see the value of speaking, but I'm I'm just my, my time is limited. So we, we help him kind of reframe how to view speaking in his business. We talk about what pieces of, of outreach he should handle versus what he could potentially outsource, which speaking of, if you haven't listened to last week's episode with Trevinia Barber, episode 148, make sure and go check that out. We talk all about outsourcing. And then finally, uh, we also talk about finding the balance between the, the important and the urgent as an entrepreneur. So maybe you're someone that has a, a lot going on and you're figuring, man, there's a lot of important things but something's going to get done first and something's going to get done last. And so uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation as, uh, as Josh and I kind of sort that out. So again, this is a student of ours that we've worked with, Josh Steinle, and uh, kind of opportunity for you to eavesdrop in on a conversation we had about how he can uh, continue to build and grow his speaking business. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Josh Steinle. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by Josh Steinle, who is a speaker and entrepreneur. He's got his hand in a variety of different things. So excited to chat with him today about his speaking business and ultimately how he can continue to scale his speaking business. He's someone who has a lot on his plate, has a lot going on, like many entrepreneurs. And, and so he's trying to figure out how he can continue to build and grow his speaking business while at the same time managing everything else he's got going on. So Josh, how are you, man? 
Doing awesome. I'm so excited, Grant. I'm so pumped to be on the show. I've been a fan of this. I've been listening to the podcast since day one. That's cool, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, you hanging out with us and I appreciate you uh, being a longtime listener, first-time caller. So let's backtrack a little bit here because you, most people that we talk to, I'm personally based in the U.S. Most people that we interview are based in the U.S., but you are not. So uh, give us the nutshell of where you're at and, and how you landed there. So I live in Shenzhen, China, which is the third largest city in China. It's kind of the Silicon Valley of China. It's on the south end. It's near Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong for three and a half years. I was there since 2013 through last year. And then I moved across the border into mainland China, which is a whole different world from Hong Kong. And so I've been in Asia for about four and a half years, and I've been doing speaking over here and building my business over here. I have a marketing agency called MWI and we have clients over here in offices and all sorts of stuff. So that's the short story on me. Nice, man. What, so what took you to China in the first place? It's actually nothing to do with business. Like most people are over here for manufacturing. They're starting a business or they get transferred over here by a job or something. My wife and I are actually adopting a child wow. and we felt like we were supposed to look at China. And that just led to me turning to my wife one day and saying, why don't we just move over there? That'd be fun. And we were just both crazy enough and in a place where we were like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So <laughs> we moved over to Hong Kong as a first step. And then we just moved over to China and it's been an amazing adventure. It's been awesome. Wow. That's nuts. Okay. So I'm thinking through like a couple years ago, my wife and I, our family, we lived in Missouri, grew up there, lived there my entire life. And randomly after a couple different circumstances, I floated out to her like, hey, what would you think of moving to Nashville? And that went well. And we're still here a couple years later. But I can't imagine like, hey, what would you think of like halfway around the world? That's insane, man. That's crazy. Yeah, well, you know, uh, there was a, the death of an old boss, nothing proven, but I felt it was better to get out of town. Wow, crazy. Okay, Just kidding. so <laughs> you've, you've got your marketing agency. So what type of marketing are you doing? Are you working primarily with Chinese, Asian countries and companies? Or what, what does that business kind of look like today? So MWI, my agency, we've got offices in the US, Hong Kong, the UK, and China. And in China specifically, we help Chinese companies to get into Western markets. So Chinese companies, they need a name, a brand, a website. They don't understand Western social media. And so we help them with all that. In the US and Hong Kong and the UK, we work more domestically. So we're doing standard websites, SEO, paid search, content marketing, all that type of stuff. I'm here in China to open the office, the China office, and get that up and running. And so that's what I've been doing for the past year. So it sounds like you've got, I mean, literally offices all over the world. What does your team look like then in terms of how you're, you're managing and running this? So here in China, there are just a handful of people because we're just getting things started. In Hong Kong, we've got about 10 people in the office. In the US, we've got 16, 17 people or so. And then things are just barely getting started in the UK. So we've got one guy on the ground there. So that's MWI. I have another business, which is called Influencer Inc., which is how I do my coaching, speaking. I have a book out there and that's how I manage all that. And I have a few virtual assistants that work with me through that business that are based in the Philippines. I also have a husband-wife writing team in New York and a guy who's about to come on as a COO, hopefully, yeah. in Utah. So I've got a team I'm building there as well. Nice. I mean, it sounds like you've got no shortage of, uh, of things to do. So I'm curious then with everything that you've got going on, how does speaking fit into the mix? Well, speaking is how we get leads for MWI a lot of the time. So if I can speak at marketing events, then that generates business for us. I went to an event here in China about three months ago, spoke for about 10 minutes and walked away with two great leads that we were able to pitch. And 
these are big clients for my business. So that's a big part of why I'm interested in speaking. And often I get paid in a roundabout way. I might speak for free at an event, but if I can walk away with a couple leads like that, then it's definitely worth my time. Right. So how much speaking have you been doing thus far in your career? And, and how are you going about getting gigs? I think I've done about 60, 70 events total over the past. Most of this has been during the past two or three years or so. Okay. And a lot of this has been opportunities that have come to me. So I also do a lot of writing. I've written 160 articles for Forbes and I write for Entrepreneur and Mashable and have writing that's been in Inc and Fortune and 20 other publications. And so that brings in some speaking gigs as well because people read the articles and then they look me up. And a lot of it's come through the other engagements that I've done. So I'll speak at one event and then that leads to a relationship that leads to speaking at another event. And so you get that networking going on between speakers, event organizers. And I've done a little bit of outreach as well, but that's where I've really struggled is in the outreach area because it just takes a lot of time. Right, right. Whenever you are speaking, is most of the speaking that you're doing there locally to you in China? Are you speaking all over the world or what does that kind of look like? Uh, it's been all over the world. I've been in Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong, China. I was in Idaho in May. I was in Boston in April. So it's pretty spread out. It's all over the place. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. You, you Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong, and then you throw in Idaho in there. It seems like one of, the, <laughs> one, one of these things isn't like and, the others. And Rexburg, Idaho. There you go. <laughs> all right. So whenever you are speaking, and so again, it's still primarily marketing conferences and the win for you is primarily lead generation. Is that right? Yep. So how much do you want to be doing? If you're doing, let's say, you know, you said 60, 70 gigs in the past two years. So it sounds like, you know, 30, 35 gigs a year. Do you want to be doing more than that? What, what's the challenge that you're running into right now? Well, right now, the challenge is that I'm not booked out for many events over the next 12 months. I've got a few opportunities. I've got a few events coming up. But I mean, right now, I've got probably five or six events that I'm planning on over the next 12 months. I'd like to have more like 20, 25 events. And I want to get into larger events or events that are really relevant and really targeted to the type of people I want to be talking to, which is primarily marketing executives, people who have decision level or decision-making power over who they hire for marketing services. So like CMOs, VP of marketing, director of marketing type people. Do you have a pretty good idea on the events that you want to be at and you're just having trouble getting in front of them? Or are you just saying, I know that I want to be in, at marketing conferences and I know these are the people that need to be there. I have no idea what those events would look like or where to find those people. Where you kind of fall there? I do have a pretty good idea on a lot of the events. I'm sure there are more out there that I could find that I don't know about yet, but I've got a spreadsheet. I've got something like 80 or 90 events in there. You interviewed Melanie Diesel back in mm -hmm. episode 51, I believe it was. And uh, I followed right? up with... You're just, you're just pulling that out. Like you don't have a cheat sheet in front of you or anything. So that, that's impressive. It could be. I feel like someone's fact checking that right now. <laughs> so I was impressed with Melanie. So I actually contacted her after uh, you spoke to her and I said, hey, I want to see the spreadsheet that you've got using to organize all your events. So she sent me some screenshots of her spreadsheet and how she's organizing. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up a spreadsheet. So I set up this big old spreadsheet and I had one of my virtual assistants go out and scour the internet for every marketing event she could find, anything that's attracting CMOs and VP of marketing. So I've got this big list of all these events now. 
And then I've just sat on it for the past two months and I haven't done a thing with it. I know that you and I were kind of exchanging some emails about this. And so it sounds like identified a bunch. You've even got a, somewhat of a database of them now. So what's the holdup then on actually beginning the process of, of reaching out to them? It's just a time thing. I mean, it takes time to go through each event, figure out what the process is, whether I even really want to speak at that event. Uh, so, I mean, if I look at a single event from the beginning to the pitch stage of saying, I'm going to analyze this event, make sure it's the right fit for me, figure out who I contact, what's the best way to contact that person, and then go through the whole negotiation process once I get a hold of somebody. It takes up a bit of time. I mean, you can spend an hour or two per event or something. And then you throw some self-doubt into that of whether this is even going to work out and whether it's going to be worth it in the end. And it's just so easy to, in the day-to-day, to look at that opportunity and say, okay, do I spend an hour or two on this event right now? Or do I take care of this fire that's burning with my business that I'm trying to run right now? And it's so easy to say, I'm going to take care of this urgent emergency right now. And I'll come back to the speaking stuff later. And that's how months go by without sending any any pitches out. Yeah. So it sounds like it's one of those things for you. And again, like I think for many business owners and entrepreneurs and, and speakers, that it's something that's urgent, but not necessarily important. Or excuse me, it's important, but not necessarily urgent at the moment. Exactly. And yeah, I live in that urgent quadrant quite sure. a bit. And sure. it's just easy to get stuck there. And it's hard to follow up on some of that important stuff. And it's easy for me to say... I mean, it's not that I'm entitled. It's not that I'm saying, oh, this stuff should just come to me. I wish it was easier. You know, I'm not trying to be a spoiled brat or anything. I'm just saying the day-to-day reality of my situation is I've got a lot of stuff going on. And when it comes down to making that decision of where I spend my time, it's just difficult to spend time on the speaking versus the other things that are going on with the business. And so I'm always looking for any sort of shortcut, which I know sometimes there just aren't shortcuts. But I'm always looking for, well, what can I do to speed up this process? What can I delegate to my assistants so that I can spend time on the stuff only I can do, but maybe there's stuff I'm not thinking about that she can be doing to help me out with this. Right, 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 right. So, okay, I'm curious. Let's backtrack for a second here. You said that for you that the primary win for speaking is lead generation. Is that right? So whether you get paid at that event or not, it's kind of icing on the cake if you get paid. But if you on average, so like, what would you say would be the norm? Like if you go speak at the right event, the right audience, would you get one, two clients out of that? What would you estimate? And again, I know that there's a ton of variables there and it depends on all kinds of things, but just, I mean, ballpark it for us. If I can walk away from an event with three or four good leads that I say, I would love to work with this company, I'm really happy with that event. That's payoff right there. Even if they don't actually turn into clients, but if they're pretty good leads, then I feel like it was worth it to go to that event. And then definitely if I land one client and it actually turns into a client, then that's that pays for the whole event and a lot more. Right. So, okay. So from that perspective, then one thing I'm curious then is, do you have like a, a ballpark of what a client is worth just in terms of like a, a lifetime value of if, if I know that if I land a client, it's worth ballpark X. I mean, are we talking like yeah, I mean, you know, a, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or what, what does that look like? Uh, tens to hundreds of thousands. I mean, most of the clients we work with, we're charging $10,000 a month and up. And so if we land a new client and we bring them in, I mean, they're paying for my expenses on going to that trip within a month or two. Yes. $10,000 ballpark. And and they're with you for how long on average? Usually at least 12 months, but it can be 24 or 36 months. I mean, we've had some clients that have been with us for eight years, yeah. so it can be huge. 
So ballpark, like at a minimum, it sounds like if you go to the right event and you pick up a client, it is worth $100,000 to the business. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I mean, profit out of that, let's say it's, you know, 40% or something. That's still like 40 grand clearing profit, you know, off the tops. If I spend five grand going to an event and I walk away with 40 grand profit, yeah, I'm way ahead. What other activities are you doing in your business that help generate clients? Is there anything that competes with speaking like at the, at that level? Uh, the writing that I do. So we get a lot of leads from the articles I've written for Forbes and other publications. And so that's where I focus a lot of my time as well. Okay. You do a lot of articles and articles tend to bring in more than what speaking does, or is it kind of 50-50? Well, it does bring in more overall, but I've done a lot of writing and not as much speaking. If I did as much speaking as I did writing, maybe the speaking would actually bring in more clients. Right. But so, you know, on a per speech versus per article basis or something. Maybe the speaking's more effective. It's hard for me to measure that or know. Yeah. But so far the speaking has been, or the writing has been how I've really built up the business mostly to this point. Right. So it sounds like, again, outside looking in that if you know on, again, on average ballpark, if you go to the right event, that it's worth a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars to you. To me, first of all, like that just, that speaks volumes in terms of what is possible if you really go head down on this and really focus on speaking, and if that means that takes a little bit of your attention and time away from some of the other projects you may be working on, that generating $100,000 per gig, most people would be pretty good with that, you know? Right. <laughs> so have yeah, you, you can live on that if you try. Yeah, for sure. You can, you can struggle through. So like from that perspective, does that change anything just in terms of like how it fits within the, the schedule in terms of just priorities of, of life? Or do you still feel that's great, but I still have this fire over here that I got to put out? Yeah. My first reaction is to say, wow, that's great. I need to hire more people to help me so that I can spend more time on trying to get the speaking gigs. But I got to hire somebody because I've got all this other stuff that still has to be taken care of. Right. So one of the things I would recommend then is as we're kind of working this through and talking this through, all right, so we recognize the importance of it, but it sounds like, again, you have the challenge that many speakers and entrepreneurs do and that there's more, more to do than there is time to do it in. And so trying to reverse engineer, how do you maximize that? It sounds like one of the things that you've done really, really well in your business overall is just being able to build a team and to delegate and to have other people handle certain tasks and projects within the business so that you don't have to be the one doing it. So one of the nice things too is that whenever it comes to finding and booking speaking engagements, it's absolutely true that you don't have to be doing all of the heavy lifting. So it sounds like one of the things that you've already kind of outsourced would be having someone who can find and identify some of those events and just building a database. From there, now that you've got this database, do you, what steps do you feel like you need to take before you're comfortable turning it over to someone else? The hard part is I feel like nobody else can really identify the events that are really the right fit for me, Mm -hmm. or at least the people that I'm, I have working for me. They wouldn't know if they looked at one event versus another event, they wouldn't necessarily know, oh, this is an event that would really be good for Josh to speak at versus Eh, this event, so-so, not really worth spending a lot of time on. Yeah, And so it's, it's tough just to outsource that decision-making process. And then when it comes to, well, how do I craft the right pitch or who do I contact at this event? That's tough too, because that, there's a lot of this stuff that until you do public speaking and until you go through the process, you don't really understand it. So it's hard to outsource to somebody who's never done it before. It's almost like I need to hire somebody who's been an expert speaker 
to like do a bunch of stuff for me because they're the only people who might understand it. Yeah, I think there's some truth to, especially the the first side of it, that you have some insider knowledge of. You just know you can look at a conference website or look at what it is that they're doing and look at who's attending and immediately know yay or nay, this is a good fit or it isn't. Whereas for someone else who may be on your team, they may just not have that insider knowledge that has taken years and years and years to build up. So what would be interesting though, would be if you went through that spreadsheet, let's say you've got 100 conferences on there. If you took several hours to took an afternoon, took a half day or even a full day, perhaps to go through that entire spreadsheet and just really prioritize out of the 100, here's the 30 that we really need to focus on. These are the ones that are, are worthwhile. These other 70 are very, very secondary. Maybe we'll get to them at some point. But these are the 30 that I know are worthwhile and that I'm confident on doing. So it seems like once you, if you spent the time to really identify those, then some of the reaching out, some of the outreach side of it uh, is something that you could begin to delegate and have other people do. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. So now with the outreach, my question there, is that really something that I can outsource to somebody else? I mean, how does it look? Now, I also organize events. So I'm an event organizer, but my events are not at the point where people are pitching me to get into the events. I'm pitching people to be part of my events. Yeah. In sending a pitch in, how does it look if I have it coming from a VA versus it's actually coming from me and it's really personalized? That's something that I'm a little bit leery to outsource as well because I feel like I wanted to have that personal touch. I wanted to be customized. And yet, can I outsource that outreach and have my VA sending out emails on my behalf saying, hey, I represent Josh Steinle and we're trying to get him booked for this event. Would you be interested in talking to him? How yeah. would I do that? I think there's, uh, I think you bring up a couple of good points there. So there's definitely two schools of thought in terms of having the speaker do some of the outreach or having someone on behalf of the speaker do some of the outreach. So again, whether that's someone on your team or for someone listening, maybe a spouse or just hiring someone local that could do that. I personally tend to lean toward, especially early on in your business. Now, the longer you do it um, and that the bigger your name, the easier it is to have someone else do it. I prefer, especially early on, to have the speaker do it. Now, having said that, I don't think necessarily you have to be the one that's writing the email and pushing send. I think what you could potentially do is, let's say you go through that database, you whittle down to here's the 30 that we want to really target. And then if you just you know made a new column within your spreadsheet there, and you're able to go through and just make some notes about the person or, or even about the event, uh, just anything that you would want to communicate and that you would want to say, so that then you've basically got someone on your team who can go through, you've got kind of a rough template of what you're going to do, but then some of those personal notes or those anecdotes or any of those things, they can kind of insert those pieces in and be able to send the email. So the email still ultimately, it's something that you helped craft and design, but there may be some pieces that they're inserting. So it's somewhat of a template, but at the same time, it's customized for each email that you're sending out. And the reason that I like the email coming from the speaker is because at the end of the day, this a uh, you're the person that's going to be getting on the plane and going to the event and meeting there. It's a human business. And one of the things that we both recognize is that people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so I know for me personally, how important it is for me to connect with that potential decision maker. Because ultimately, they're not just hiring me to give a speech, they're hiring me as a human being. So I want to make that connection. And so if you're able to connect some of those dots for a VA that can then send that email and at least start the conversation and send that first email, it seems like that would definitely save you some time. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So I would have the VA send out the emails through my account under my name, right? Yeah. Is what yep. you're saying? Yeah, you could totally do that. And then what I would probably do is I think where what happens from here is where a lot of speakers really drop the ball is we send an initial email and then we're just like, we sit back and we wait for them to get back with us. And the reality is, again, you've been on the other side, you've been an event planner. So you know how busy you are. You know how many balls you're trying to juggle. You just know how many things you have going on. And again, whether this is whether you are planning an event or you're running a business at all, there's just a lot going on. And so I think it's critically important to have a system in place to follow up. So again, this is where I think you can really outline within, with your team of exactly what happens next. All right, we send this first email and then we wait a week or two and then we send this next follow-up email and here's exactly what this looks like. And then based on that, then we wait a week or two and then we do this next step. And you just got a, a workflow in place there that once you kind of help shape the first domino, then they can topple, your, your team can topple the rest of the dominoes. Now, when, let's say, for example, you you reach out at some point in the process and you get a reply that someone's expressing some level of interest. At that point, I, as the speaker, would get back involved in the process. Because again, I know that especially when it comes to speaking, especially again, early on in business, or if you're not exclusive with a, a major bureau, you're not a $30,000 speaker, I know that nobody can sell the speaker better than the speaker. And so again, all those things that you were talking about earlier of you're able to look at the site, you know who the decision maker is, you know about the conference, you know about other speakers they've had, you're able to get on the phone with that potential client and connect the dots that your VA or anybody on your team just wouldn't be able to do. So if I'm talking with a potential client and they're saying, hey, we had Josh come to our conference and our conference is hosted in Idaho, I'm able to then connect the dots and say, oh, I, I know Josh. Josh is a friend and I've talked with him and yada, yada. And oh, I've been to where in Idaho. Oh, that's cool. I was just up. I spoke at such and such event and recently. And you just have that, like you just have that knowledge that someone it's, you just can't pass that on to someone else. So I think you only need to get back involved when there's some level of interest. And at that point, then you can kind of come in and be somewhat of a closer in that sales situation. Does that make sense? Yeah, this sounds great. I mean, the part that I'm missing here or the part that I haven't completed yet is really setting up those templates and setting up that workflow for my VAs to be able to send out those emails on my behalf. Because once I get a response from somebody who's interested, it's easy for me to work that into my workflow because then it becomes urgent and important and urgent because I've got a live person who's waiting for a response from me. I'm going to respond to that email no right. matter what it takes. I'm going to push other things aside. I'm going to make that a priority. It's easier to just never email in the first place because nobody's depending on me for that. Nobody's waiting for that. But if I can fill that with the VAs and get them to take care of that step, then once I get a warm response, then yeah, it's easy for me to jump back in and make sure it happens. Because I mean, you're exactly right that there are a couple of points in the process that you do want to be involved in that I do think makes a huge difference. But even just kind of the creating that spreadsheet, you could have someone else do. Once you're really clear on what they're looking for and helping them to, and I think the more clear you can be with them, the better. So instead of saying, go create me a spreadsheet of, of marketing conferences, but actually walking them through, I think this is where you can really create you know, videos explaining here's what you're looking for and here's why this one's a good fit or this one isn't a good fit. And here's what the columns need to be in the, in the spreadsheet, what all needs to go in there. And then once you have these, let me know and here's our next steps. And if you really are documenting that, then it removes a lot of the, the guesswork. So think of it like a, a machine, you know, think of it like a, a system. So I know for us, when, when I'm doing a lot of events that 
my assistant and I, we have a really good systems in place for this. So when someone reaches out to us, then she's involved in basically screening it to kind of talk with them to figure out if it's legit or not. And then basically after that, then I kind of step in and take over until the event is booked. Now, once the event is booked, then I turn it back over to her and I'm really clear with the client that I'm passing. You've had all your interaction with me thus far. I'm passing the relationship back to her and she's going to take care of you from there. So that way, if the client has any questions on contracts, logistics, travel, payment, any of those just details, she's the contact. She's the person that handles all of that. So we have a really good system that when it's booked, I send that email and copy her on it and I'm done basically pretty much until the actual event happens. And so we schedule a pre-event call, usually two to three weeks before the event to kind of touch base with the client, kind of refresh, make sure we're all on the same page. But basically everything in between there, she handles. And so we've got a good checklist in place that she walks through and she knows I need to follow up on this. I need to make sure we get a deposit. I need to make sure the contract's turned in. I need to make sure travel's booked and all the pieces that are associated with travel, making sure that they're taken care of. So once you have, again, those systems in place, it's really good to be able to just say, all right, now this, my part's done. And now the VA steps in and they take it. And then once they get to their stopping point, then they can pass the baton back to you. But once you have those clear systems in place, then it's a lot easier for that system to flow more naturally. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah, this all makes sense. And this is something I've been learning about as I've brought this VA team on, which I've only had for three months now. So I'm still new to having these assistants and yeah, delegating tasks to them. But yeah, this all fits with the experience I've been having so far. So this is great. So one thing that we use is we use um, a tool called Sweet Process, sweetprocess.com, something like that. And there's several tools like that, but it's basically a place where you can have a, kind of a central hub where you can have documentation and standard operating procedures of this is how we do this particular thing. So that way, right now you may have one particular VA who's in that role, but if someone else comes in that you're not having to like, ah, oh, crap, how do I retrain this person from scratch? It's we've already already got it completely outlined, you know, so it's very, it becomes very much plug and play that someone else could step into the role and help fill what the other person was doing. And so the more you have documented, the easier it is for to remove some of the guesswork of how something actually happens. You would have different documentations for different pieces of the process. So you have a whole documentation just on how to find, uh, identify events and put them in the spreadsheet. You have different documentation on what you are looking for as you're kind of going through them. Because even if it's something where you're only reviewing that spreadsheet every few months, just having a frame of reference that you can go back to and be like, okay, these are the check, these are the boxes that I'm looking to check to figure out if it's an event worth pursuing or not. And based on what I find, this is what I do next. Okay, now there's next documentation on uh, the email process. There's email or there's documentation on the follow up process and what needs to happen there. Okay, we booked something. Now what's the process for that? But when you've got documentation for each step of the process, then again, it removes all of the guesswork and it makes the system much simpler to just run itself. And it's, it becomes this well-oiled machine. So a good way to think of this is think about it from like a franchise standpoint. If you were to invest in something like a McDonald's, you're buying two things. You're buying the brand, the name McDonald's, but you're buying the system. They're going to give you a playbook that any 15-year-old could come in and run tomorrow because like they remove all all of the guesswork. There's no thinking, you know, and so you're really trying to systematize as much as possible of this process to make that machine work more fluidly. Great. This is great stuff. Now you're in, remind me, in Booked and Paid to Speak too, right? 
I am, yes. So good news for you and other people that are in Booked and Paid to Speak is that we've got 16 email templates in there. Plus, we've got a follow-up flowchart in there of exactly when uh, you send that first email. What do you do from there? They reply. They don't reply. Here's what they say. Here's what they don't say. Now, what do you do? Should you call them? Should you email them? When should you email them? What should you... So it's very much like paint by numbers between the email templates plus the follow-up flowchart. So that's all in there. And so that should help remove a lot of that guesswork for you and the team getting that set up. Awesome. Yeah, I'll download those. Cool, man. All right. Well, does that help? Yeah, this is really helpful. It just clarifies things a little bit. Oftentimes, it's hard to just take a step back from the day-to-day busyness yeah. and just say, okay, wait, what do I want to do? What am I missing out on? I mean, it's easy for months to go by and you just say, you know what? I haven't worked on anything speaking related for like three months. I need yeah. to do something about this. Yeah. And this has been a great chance just to kind of take that step back and say, wait, this isn't that hard. I need to just do a few things here. But I've been so busy, I haven't even really thought about it. Yeah. But also, again, when we talked about before that if you are on average per gig picking up a $100,000 client and you're, let's say, put in a decent system in place and it books you one gig a month, just 12 a year, that's an additional million plus in revenue. And if not, and again, we're talking about on the low and it could be closer to 2 million for you in revenue. So, I mean, it seems like once you get the system in place, it's a pain in the butt maybe to set up the system. sounds like you've got a couple pieces potentially already in place though. But once the system's in place, I mean, it really, really pays for itself. And there's a massive, massive ROI. It's just a matter of setting up the system in the first place. Yeah. Cool. And it, yeah, it's long-term versus short-term thinking. It's yeah. easy to get sucked into the short-term thinking on a day-to-day basis and lose track of the long-term. For sure. All right, man. Well, we'll uh, I appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to chat with us. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? JoshStimely.com. Stimely spelled S-T-E-I-M-L-E. Beautiful. All right, Josh, thanks for uh, being willing to be a guinea pig and uh, be, uh, be vulnerable and let us uh, pick at the business a little bit. Thank you, Grant. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Steinle and uh, get an opportunity for you to be kind of a fly on the wall as we talk through how he can uh, how he can continue to make speaking a priority. And when, when he has so much other things going on and you probably feel the same way, how he gets it all done. And so I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Hey, also, let me remind you, if you haven't already, definitely want to register for one of our upcoming free trainings where we are teaching you all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So make sure you stop by freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. We would love for you to join us at one of those upcoming free trainings. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 149. We'll catch you next week. You're awesome.